This is Offspin. If you uh, still are adamant and say, no, I will not take any kind of stock market risk. It's all gambling. Uh, that's what uh, my parents have told me. I, I, I will stay, stay away from that. Then, hey, that's fine. You can still go for that 7% safe return. But to afford that 120 rupees cup of tea in 2053, you need to invest not 15 rupees, but 31 rupees. Now, do you have... Which one is scarier, I guess? That, that's the question. <laughs> do you have that extra amount? Do you have 2x the amount? You're spending x and you are you say, I won't take risk. Then the cost of not taking any risk is 2x. And that's really scary. So the biggest risk is not taking risk. Not taking capital market risk. If you if you say, I don't, I want fixed returns, then you, you, then you will have to throw money at it. People don't have money. Because inflation is killing their uh, spending power today. This is that Offspin original you've all been waiting for. It's time for Let's Get Rich with Patu. Hello and welcome back to Let's Get Rich with Pattu. After a, an interesting week last week, which has led to a lot of questions and a lot of interesting feedback, I think we, we struck a nerve while talking about the non-salaried people of India who continue to earn but irregular income. Pattu, any thoughts after that episode, any further insights you'd like to give to our large community and how are you doing? I know we both have sore throats, or at least I do. I, I wouldn't say the same for you, but how are you doing? I'm doing great. I hope you feel better soon. Um, so uh, the uh, the freelancer episode was received very well. Uh, we had a wonderful time on the show talking to the couple and uh, we have received some comments about uh, how insightful it was and hopefully we would like to add more insights uh, along the way. I'd like to quickly name some of you who wrote in um, at the rate Thiru TWTS, uh, who's listened to all episodes and highly recommends it for everyone. We've also got feedback from Prashant Giridharan and Dinesh Kumar. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, and of course, Shubham's episode continues to be, uh, you know, a flag bearer for this show. Shubham, thank you for that. A lot of people have really felt something important about, you know, why should we rush towards financial independence. But on that note, let's introduce this week's topic. And uh, but you can help me here. The entire premise of this is, you know, on a weekly basis, we face a dilemma on let's get rich with Pattu. When Pattu and our team talks, and we try to figure out what we should talk about on each episode, the dilemma we face is should we go deep into some topic, which is what Pattu has been doing on his YouTube channel often? Or should we think of the people who are starting out their investing journey? which is the larger audience, right? The data isn't enough yet. So I think we're in a uh, situation where we'll try and mix it up. Today's episode uh, is all about if the basics are in place and to revise them, if you have your emergency fund in place, if you have for the freelancers, the freelancer fund in place, you've worked on it for a few months very diligently and it's in place. If you have medical insurance in place and perhaps if you have term life insurance in place, 
what then? What should be my first investment? Um, and Patu, it's a very interesting topic because you come to a stage when you've kind of laid the foundation. Uh, you have now some money to invest and think about your future. What are the next steps? What should be the thought process? And why did you think about suggesting this topic? Um, the first thing uh, that came to mind uh, when it comes to money management for beginners is they're in a hurry to invest. They're in a hurry to buy that first product. So um, that's why we first talked about uh, emergency fund, insurance of different kinds and so on. So while, during, uh, while doing all this, one should not think about investing. Uh, one mm-hmm. should build the foundations. And, and now one is ready to actually start investing. Even now, I would say, give yourself two to three, three weeks thinking about uh, what you're going to do. And then you can buy your first product. The biggest problem that money managers face is that they buy without thinking about why they're buying it. What is the actual end use? And after a couple of years, their portfolio is in such a big clutter, it's very difficult to actually unravel it and you know uh, align it to one's goals and so on. So it's okay to take it slow. Uh, I mean, a few weeks here and there is not going to make a big difference to the wealth that we create. So we can take this time to think about what our short-term needs are. Short-term needs means things like uh, expenses that we're going to make every year. For example, uh, uh, vehicle insurance, uh, health insurance, life insurance, premiums. Uh, If you have kids, then you have to pay the tuition for the, you know, for the school, etc. Those are things that you're going to pay every year. And the best way to handle that is via uh, the good old recurring deposit. I think we have mentioned this sometime uh, in the previous episode. In the episode. first or second episode, yeah. Yeah, so the recurring deposits will take care of the annual expenses. The emergency fund, and then you have taken care of the annual expenses. The next step would be to think about uh, the kind of money you need for, uh, uh, let's say, in two years' time, in three years' time. Maybe you want to go on a holiday. Maybe you want to buy uh, uh, that the you know the latest Mac Air or whatever uh, model that's available. Then something like that, some kind of a short-term goal that you want to spend on for in the next two three years. So that would come under uh, saving. So in saving, you're gonna put your money in some kind of secure instrument where the money that you put in does not fluctuate, the value does not fluctuate, and you know beforehand uh, the kind of return that you're going to get and the kind of maturity that you're going to get, the final maturity amount that you're going to get. The classic investment is, of course, the fixed deposit. So for these short-term investments, you can happily choose uh, a fixed deposit and be done with it. So I would suggest everyone to make a list of these short-term goals. What is it that I want to be spending on? in the next two years, three years, four years. And I would say that you can even stretch it to seven, eight years. That's absolutely fine. So up to that time, you can happily use a mixture of uh, recurring deposits for regular cash flow that you're getting, you can put it there. Or if you are going to get uh, a bulk amount from time to time, you can open fixed deposits and you can manage your uh, short-term needs via saving. Uh, in those instruments. Then I would urge people to think about uh, their long-term goals. 
and i have mentioned sometime before that everybody has one goal whether they uh, have thought about goals or not it is financial independence uh, or retirement with financial independence however way you want to call it and for most people who are listening in that should easily be uh, two decades or almost three decades away right and that's a long time and a long time for you to uh, invest in so that would be your long term goal and for people with kids maybe in the next 10 years 7 8 years or so you may have to send them to uh, college and that's uh, another goal to think about so we will f- first de- uh, focus only on the retirement goal or the financial independence goal so that would be the long term goal so how am i going to invest for such a goal so i have now used that word invest uh, i'm now changed from from saving, saving yeah to investing so what so if difference? you continue to save like we did for an emergency fund or a you know a short term goal and use fixed deposits if we continue to do that diligently with discipline why is that not enough um one word inflation so we will talk right. about that uh, in some detail maybe right away uh, so let's say you go back in time to the year 1990 right uh in the year 1990 you could have had a cup of tea on a roadside tea stall in india for 50 paisa half a rupee happily in a even in a metro you could have uh, 50 paisa would have been enough for you to get a cup of tea somewhere so let's say um in 1990 you had 1 rupee with you that's not a big ask you could have had 1 rupee in 1990 33 years away ago uh you take half of that money and you buy yourself a nice cup of tea sure and for the remaining half you want to put it in some instrument whether it's a saving instrument investing in whatever it is we we want to put it in some financial instrument where the money will grow and after 33 years you redeem that money you don't touch it you take that you invest that 50 paisa in 1990 and for 33 years you have left it untouched in 2023 Uh, you go to that instrument pick out pull out the money pay whatever the tax is necessary you can't avoid taxes and um, you you're going to be left with some amount now the question is would that amount be enough for you to buy the same cup of tea probably in the same shop assuming it's still alive on the roadside in 2023 so the question then to ask is what is uh, the amount needed today uh, to buy a cup of tea you know in a very ordinary shop no frills just on the roadside you would need anywhere between 12 rupees to 15 rupees absolutely basic right uh, at least 12 to 15 rupees so which means that in 1990 you had put away that 50 paisa so that 50 paisa should have grown in 2023 to at least 12 rupees after deducting tax right which means the question to ask is what should what is the rate of return or what is the rate at which that money should grow so that i can the i can drink the same cup of tea i drank 33 years ago today the right. answer is about 11% per year approximately it it won't be a regular 11% increase but it's an average increase of uh 11% over this 33 year period 
Is that eleven percent inflation, or should that fifty paisa have grown at eleven percent, or both? It is the same in the in the argument that you are making. So that that what was uh, what costed fifty paisa in nineteen ninety costs twelve rupees to fifteen rupees today, and that rate of inflation is about eleven percent. So if I had invested fifty paisa in nineteen ninety. and after paying tax in 2023 i want to enjoy the same cup of tea not anything nothing more nothing less then i would need my money to grow at 11% after tax right and you're saying and incomes and salaries are not growing at that rate to to you know make sure you buy that same cup of mm. chai it depends it depends on the um, on the you know area you work in but typically how much do our salaries increase um i would in the government it increases and for government jobs it increases at a fixed 3% plus a little bit of uh, inflation hikes so it will be about 5% a year right. in the corporate sector it can fluctuate wildly it depends on profitability so it can be right. a bumper year or you know nothing so it's so it's that's so i mean the point is now as long as we are earning you can manage to have that cup of tea Right. but what if you stop earning what after retirement absolutely so uh let's so two questions but before you proceed yeah. sorry one is yeah. 11 seems really high i mean if you follow news reports or if you follow what you know if you read the newspapers it's usually around 6 or 7% in the us they're making a big deal of it being you know maybe 4 or 5% right so how have you arrived at this 11% and that is scaring me a little bit um the, of course this 11% is just for that one commodity is uh, right. for that one cup of tea and of course it's a it's a service when you go outside and get it you're not paying just for the uh, cup of tea you're going to pay the the guy who is making the cup of tea you're going to pay for the rent uh, for the tea store and so on so there there are overheads that you're paying for of course you can argue that if you make it at home it's going to be a lot uh, lesser but the other thing is that that's just one commodity but the inflation that gets quoted um uh, you know in the media on etc it's the average inflation across all our expenses expenses for petrol expenses for rice for other groceries clothing etc etc so i would say um uh, 10 years ago if you had asked me i would have said that the typical average inflation that one should assume while planning something is about 8% but thankfully since to the growth of our economy it is gone down up by a notch by about 7% so i would say approximately everything uh, gets expensive uh, right. by at least 7% and but clearly the fixed deposit there's rates a big catch sure go ahead sorry yeah you you're right so the fixed depo- uh, deposit rates after tax are not going to match that uh but there's something even more dangerous we are talking about inflation in the current lifestyle nobody's lifestyle is going to be the same over decades right i mean uh, the guy who was drinking that cup of tea is drinking the, on the roadside in 19 probably from colombia yes. or hold holding an apple phone maybe yeah so that's one we seen at that roadside stall yeah so people's lifestyles are always increasing because the moment they get a hike in salary uh they say that now i deserve to spend more right it's not debatable at all they just deserve to spend more so which means that the 
inflation in our lifestyle is probably much higher than that 7-8% that I just talked about. What is known as lifestyle creep. And if you put that all in, that can be a very scary number. I mean, uh, I, I, that could inch closer to that 11% uh, uh, T example that we had just talked about. So that is uh, inflation in current lifestyle plus the enhancement in our lifestyle. Because right. if you, you, I mean, if you have been uh, driving a car for the last 10 years and if somebody tells you you are not going to drive a car anymore, I mean, you would feel that you have failed in terms of money management, right? If, you, if somebody tells you you don't have enough money to afford a car anymore, you're going to stop it. That means you failed as a money manager, right? So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem that we have to... So every time you add on something to your lifestyle, you've got to think a little bit, at least a little bit and ask, can I manage this uh, need, want or luxury, whatever you want to call it, even after I retire? If you, you know, bring in that thinking, maybe you will you know, hold ourselves back a little bit. I'm not saying don't spend at all, but at least have some kind of balance. Right. So let's say I have 30 rupees today. And I use 15 rupees to drink a cup of tea. I have 15 rupees less. I mean, the same roadside cup of tea. I have 15 rupees left with me, excuse me. Now, I want to invest this 15 rupees for the next 20 years. And if I assume the same 11% inflation is going to exist, in 2053, the roadside tea would cost about 120 rupees, 121 rupees, something like that. Right? So, if I invest 15 rupees, assuming I get 11% after 20 years, after tax, that will end up with, 15 rupees will end up growing to 120 or 121 rupees approximately. But if I choose a bank deposit or something that offers me 7-8%, where I say I want security, I don't want my uh, 15 rupees to fluctuate at all. It has to be rock solid and I need to know the maturity value that I'm getting. I'm not going to take any kind of, uh, you know, uh, risk on that. Then that at 7%, which let's assume that's post-tax, it will only end up to 58 rupees in 20 years. So Scary. Yeah. So you, can, you cannot afford that 120 rupees cup of tea on the road in 2053. If you don't invest right, if you if you uh, uh, still are adamant and say no, I will not take any kind of stock market risk. It's all gambling. Uh, that's what uh, my parents have told me. I, I I will stay stay away from that. Then okay, that's fine. You can still go for that seven percent safe return. But to afford that hundred and twenty rupees cup of tea in twenty fifty three. You need to invest not 15 rupees, but 31 rupees. Now, do you have... Which one is scarier, I guess? That, That's the question. <laughs> do you have that extra amount? Do you have 2x the amount? You are spending x and you, are, uh, you say, I won't take risk. Then the cost of not taking any risk is 2x. And that's really scary. So, uh, the, the biggest risk is not taking risk not taking capital market risk if you if you say i don't i want fixed returns then you you then you will have to throw money at it people don't have money because inflation is killing their uh, spending power today 
Patu, is this the case kind of around the world or is it a very Indian phenomenon? That's one part of my question. And the second part is, should not governments do something about it to ensure that the larger masses... You know what, I guess the question is coming from a place where if I didn't hear this, and this should probably be taught in schools, the the masses at large are not aware about this and therefore their future does not look great. So either the the government does something for the citizenry of the country um, or the education has to be rampant uh, so that everybody knows this and, you know, invest for the future. Uh, one thing I can tell you is that mm, inflation education has increased tremendously in the 10-12 years, in the past 10-12 years. I mean, uh, it no longer takes too much convincing uh, to get somebody, uh, you know, start investing in equity stocks or uh, mutual funds and so on. Maybe the COVID helped a lot. Uh, maybe people sitting at home and reading stuff and so on. Uh, they did do a lot of trading and uh, wasted money there in different directions. But it's a lot easier now to convince people to take some risks. Because right. I have students uh, asking me, how should I start investing in the, in the stock market? So, which is a great thing. Now, the best thing that the government can do is to make it clear to its citizens, you're on your own. Exactly, right? That is the basis of my question. We are on our own. I'm not going to subsidize anything for you because uh, running the government is basically like running a business. I mean, uh, or running a home for that matter. If your income is 100 rupees, you can't have expenses greater than that. But the government is having expenses greater than its income month after month after month. And somehow, you know, because of its policies and you know, it's, it's managing, it's, it can't sustain. So the, the best thing that the government can do is to say, I'm not going to subsidize anything. I'm not going to give you any more freebies. You are on your own. All I can do is offer you an opportunity to, to educate yourself, to maybe to get yourself a, jo uh, a job. That's about it. After, so we have to recognize that nobody will come and save us. There are so many people who would say, uh, the what is the government doing? It's not the government's job to help you. Uh, it's a and inflation. If you look at it, it's a it's a, a deep economic question. What you ask is it happening in other countries? Now, the definition of inflation is quite simple. If you look at it, there is a rate of supply of goods, different goods, whether it's petrol or cloth or you know vehicles or what anything that can be consumed or anything that can be purchased in a market is there, there's a rate of supply. And then there's a rate of demand, right? So, um, if the rate of demand is a little bit higher than the rate of supply, not too much, just a little bit higher, then inflation would be a healthy low number. What that low number is, is very country specific. For example, for the US, they would say that the inflation of 2 to 3% is reasonably okay for them to, uh, to have a healthy demand. And then they keep producing goods. In India, it's been pegged at about 4%. Uh, so that's a, that's a healthy inflation. Anytime this rate of demand and the rate of supply uh, it get, becomes mismatched, it can become mismatched on either direction. Then the inflation right. becomes too high or too low. Both of it is bad. Mm. And uh, many people say that in India, oh, our population is the problem. 
there's a saying that every problem in india in two steps you can you can trace it to its big population but isn't that a great strength yes that's exactly what i'm trying to point out that i have i was also drilled on to that kind of mindset but i I've, i've come to realize that our population is our biggest strength that is because the, of demand will always that part of the equation will always be fulfilled we have a great demand and we have always uh, have a huge base of people uh, in the lower income groups trying to improve their income and trying to you know uh, earn more and spend more and that is the main reason why we are currently the fifth biggest economy in the world and that's going to be the biggest reason why in about 10 15 years we are probably the third biggest economy in the world which means that uh, there's a lot of room for our stock markets to grow because right. the when the, the companies are becoming more and more profitable it's going to uh, show in the stock market uh, uh, price movement which means that the risk is actually a quite reasonable risk investing in equity to try and tackle inflation is a risk but it's a reasonable risk and if you say i'm my retirement is 20 years away 25 years away then it's a extremely manageable risk but if you say i want money in the next 2 years and i want to put it in the stock market that's not a risk you can manage that's pot right. luck so that's that's irresponsible that's why that's the difference between saving and investing you save for the short term because you can't handle the risk of you know market fluctuations but over the long term there is a very reasonable chance that our stock market will do well enough to beat inflation there's a difference many people uh, say that i i expect 15% i expect uh, 17% from the stock market the stock market's job is not to meet your expectations the stock market's job is to to give you a little bit more than inflation at But that time but has it proved to do so say since yes. 1990 when you bought that chai for 50 paise yes it has and i've checked it for us data from 1900 and uh, except for a handful of occasions it was almost always rewarded the investor at a return greater than inflation mm. that does not mean you will get the return you want i mean your your expectation should also be reasonable that's very important that's where the education comes so right uh, so that is the reason why you should you know uh, invest a good chunk of your money in the stock market not all of it a good chunk of it to begin with i would say no more than 50% so let's say you are uh, the total amount of money that's in hand is 100 rupees put 50 rupees in a index fund in a nifty or sensex index fund and 50 rupees in a fixed income instrument most of you having epf would already have that fixed income instrument uh freelancers who don't have some kind of epf kind of thing they can open a ppf account the public provident fund account and that would be your half of your fixed income so that would that's a simple two instrument long term portfolio epf or ppf for the fixed income 50% and the other 50% as uh, in the nifty or sensex index fund that's quick it quick question is epf also limited to 1 1 1/2 lakh per year because i know for a fact ppf is epf is not but about about 2.5 lakhs it's taxable I hope that's got it. I get my numbers right, but it's it's still a good. I mean, even if it's taxed for those who are earning a lot, even if it's taxed, it's still a, a secure investment. You get about close to eight percent, and uh, it's quite fine. All right, and the a key word that you kept mentioning was risk, right? So PPF seems to be very low risk. 
as soon as you start entering this world of your first investment and you tap into the world of equities and the stock market and mutual funds and probably an index fund, there is risk. And that is the one word that puts a lot of people off, right? And then you said, uh, if you think of it as a two-year investment, that's potluck. If you think of it as a 25 to 30 to 40-year investment, then it's a very manageable risk. Yeah. So, Why? Um, so I, what is the biggest risk? Perhaps that could be a start for your answer. The biggest risk is ignorance and not wanting to learn. Uh, so, I think a better word is uh, to describe instruments. I would say a better word is volatility. A volatility in the price or the um, investment amount. So, if you take a PPF or a fixed deposit, there's zero volatility. You know for sure that it's going to increase at a set rate. Of course, fixed deposit and PPF rates can fluctuate over time, but those fluctuations are very mild. And Is there any history of you. fixed deposits or PPF ever failing? I mean, that would have caused a lot of unrest and I might have heard of it, but has there ever been a history of that? Um, the big banks generally don't fail. A, a big bank like HDFC, ICICI or uh, SBI. SBI. You, you but mean, small you banks have, fa have failed. So you're saying those fixed deposits also fail their investors? Is there I no it's, guarantee it's that the, the government it's, gives? It's the greed. Uh, the, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the guarantees because people then um, uh, end up making wrong decisions. If the, I would say, take a look at the FD rate of these big banks, SBI, ICICI, HDFC. If the FD rate of any other bank is significantly higher than these rates, hmm. then you are taking a risk. Because they will have to, uh, you know, derive an income much higher than that FD rate. So, for example, let's say somebody gives a rate of FD of 10%. They will have to remain profitable, to remain afloat. They will have to make a profit much higher than that 10% to, you know, you know even give you that 10% back. Which means you are taking a risk with your money. All this uh, deposit insurance, etc. Uh, I'm not a big believer in that. Uh, I would say you should never uh, get to a situation where that is invoked. And right. uh, don't take risk of those kinds in the fixed income. Stay away from all kinds of hidden risk in fixed income segments. And in the equity segments, the, the volatility, uh, the price fluctuations, it's visible for you. Whereas the risks... Uh, or the uh, the dangers in the fixed income are hidden. Everything will look good, and then one day, bam, it strikes you. And then you you say your money is locked out, etc. You have to wait for the insure, deposit insurance to kick in and so on. So why bother? Why should I, uh, you know, break my head, lose my sleep over that extra 1%? Uh, you know, I would put my money in a safe bank and focus on uh, you know, known risks, visible risks uh, with manageable risks uh, with equity for the long term. Right. So I guess the very important point we're making, Patu, is that, look, there is also risk in a fixed instrument, right? Although it's much smaller than equity, every bit of financial instruments, all financial instruments have some associated risk. And it's about how you manage it. And, and I think the risk of losing out is even bigger than the risk of uh, investing, right? Have I said that right? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, the, the, the problem is time. I mean, you can't, uh, once you lose it, uh, then you can't take the risks. For example, somebody comes to me and says, I'm 40 years old. I have never 
you know invested in the stock market all my money is in uh, fixed income instruments uh, help me beat inflation in the remaining 10 years 15 years i'm going then the amount of risk that you can actually take is going to be very low because you don't have too much time uh, that's where young earners have to be uh, really careful they uh, the clock is ticking for them they have to start investing as early as possible so that the you you have the time as a cushion to bear those risks over those 20 years 30 uh, 30 year period the stock market will definitely crash at least two to three times you can handle that because you started early and you do you have right. the time to let it recover right and last point but to about this 50 50-50 division between you know fixed income and uh, the stock market why so and how important a role does asset allocation play so that is asset allocation as you uh, rightly defined so um, too much of something is bad uh, mm. too much of fixed income means that you will not be able to beat inflation the purchasing power of your corpus is going to degrade over time because of inflation too much of equity would mean the volatility in the corpus value is going to be too much and that's something that you cannot control that would mean that uh, as your uh, uh, you know date to date of retirement nears it would seem like potluck today uh, i people say i okay i'm 25 i i'm going to only retire in 30 years later i can take all the risk i want that's fine but uh, if you are if you have seen a couple of good years great returns then you become greedy and say let let it slide for a, few, a little more time let it slide for a little more time and then big crash comes in when you are you know 40 or so and, and it takes years for the market to recover then you are in trouble so you all your corpus you you wasted that corpus right so you need a balance like everything in life work life balance uh, you know this also needs a kind of balance there are different ways to uh, you know allocate these some would argue that uh, young earners should invest 70% and uh, 30% in 30, 70% in equity 30% in fixed income and so on. i would say just 50 50 is it just perfect it has got the right balance of volatility and safety you can sleep uh, in peace without you know worrying too much about interesting some uh, so to revise quickly patu what you're saying is once you have your basics in place and you've worked hard at um, you know getting your emergency fund in place freelancer fund for the freelancers getting your uh, medical insurance getting your probably your term insurance your first ever investment today you said patu could be a, a nifty or a or a index fund right along with your epf uh, along with your, your salary. epf in 50 50 right that would all, yeah yeah so some questions we receive for the team are one is uh, you know they listen to our podcast patu and sid say this and when they discuss it at home say a father figure or a mother figure will say no what are you listening to a podcast for don't trust youtube don't trust social channels uh, listen to me this is how i've done it uh, invest in gold uh, some young person who you highly trust will say invest in crypto some other person may say listen you have to do it in this particular stock put all your money in this one stock so there various inputs and pieces of advice you get from all corners people you genuinely trust and people who genuinely want the best for you how does one work through this entire quagmire of advice 
I think conviction matters and that is something that takes time to evolve, that takes time. You have to read a little bit uh, for that to, you know, to develop some kind of conviction of your choices. Uh, I would say until then, don't act. Just listen to these pieces of uh, advices. Even even this one, even the, the present one, you, you don't need to, if you're not convinced about uh, buying a uh, Nifty or uh, Sensex index fund or 50% uh, in EPF, you don't need to uh, follow it. But what I would suggest is don't buy something else immediately. Take the time to, you know, read a lot of, I mean, you have a lot of videos, a lot of material today. That's why I said, don't be in a hurry to implement things immediately because then, then there's, uh, it, then it becomes a lot of messy, uh, to, uh, too messy to unravel. So take a time. Maybe it takes for some person uh, one week is enough to convince them. For somebody it may take six months, but that's fine. But uh, you know, be disciplined in reading and evolving a strategy for yourself and follow that. Don't take anybody's advice, including ours, at face value. Very interesting. I think that uh, makes it pretty clear. Do your own work, uh, listen to your convictions, take the time to think, take the time to think about your goals as well as what you feel feels right. Um, next question, Pattu, what should explicitly and you don't mind saying openly should not be your first investment? Any such list you have? I think that's a, that's a huge list. Uh, I would say um, crypto. ULIPs, LIC policies, endowment policies, uh, any kind of ins insurance policies with, with say that uh, uh, give you some kind of return back, uh, chit funds, gold, real estate. I, I think it's, uh, is there anything else maybe? Uh, but peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending. I, this, the, these kids are on about those uh, peer-to-peer platforms and so on. None of that. You don't need any of that. I think the the number one investment for a young earner today is skills and uh, avenues to build their income, increase their income. And, um, and the simplest mix is uh, EPF or PPF plus uh, an equity index fund. That's the simplest mix to make you wealthy. I think I mentioned this before. I'll say it again. You, you don't uh, become wealthy because of returns, you become wealthy because you, you have money. You need money to make money. So focus Amazing. on the income. Yeah. And on that note, uh, the last kind of slightly philosophical question that we always try to end our episodes on is recently I was reading a book by MJ DeMarco, but I don't know if you've heard about it. It's called The Millionaire Fast Lane. Right? Uh, and there's an interesting concept in that book where he divides people into three buckets. Right. I don't know if you're accustomed to what a fast lane is, what a slow lane is while driving on a highway. It's, it's very obvious. But there are, there's also a sidewalk. Right. So he says the first bucket of people are sidewalkers. And if I'm to quickly read, sidewalkers are for people where a financial plan exists in mindset, usually a paycheck to paycheck existence, where escape is sought through welfare, lottery tickets, maybe casino gambling and various other forms of get rich quick actions. Basically, people who think about getting rich but don't do anything about it. So clearly, listeners on this show are not that. Then there is the slow lane where 
which is a dogmatic financial plan based on the fatal presumption that 40 to 50 years of gainful employment circumscribed by frugal living, tortuous saving and regimented stock market investing will somehow make you a millionaire. Um, and I'm worried that line kind of attacks us and our philosophy on the show. And then, of course, there's the fast lane, where it's an enterprising financial plan based on leveraged entrepreneurship that creates extraordinary incomes and asset values in short periods of time, circumscribed by the sense entrepreneurial framework, which is something he talks about in his book. It sounds like a bit of marketing, I'll be very honest. Uh, perhaps we should not take it at, fa at face value. But is there, in your thought process, do you ever think about whether this advice is perhaps too slow for the masses to achieve financial independence or is it the safest way? See, And um, is there a faster way? I think there are two different kinds of uh, risks here. Uh, there are the risks that you take with your money, with your uh, investment for your long-term goals with a specific goal in mind. And there are risks that you take with your career. Mm. There, are, there are two different things. I, I mean, uh, I would say I'm all for taking risks with a career, uh, especially when you have the age to do it before you're married, because after you're married, have kids and so on, you can't take as many risks because it's uh, it can fall flat on you. So I'm all for that uh, enterprisive mindset where you, you know, uh, uh, quit your job, follow your passion if you want. And that's all fine. But I would say that is an entirely different lane to speak the same language compared to the investing lane. I would say separate them uh, out. And there are many people um, who are in their late 20s or early 30s who write to me asking, um, I want to, I'm passionate about this. I I did my uh, BE because my parents forced me to. I, I joined an IT company because I had to. Now I'm, I, now I'm, I'm having, uh, I'm, I'm, my interests are different and I want to follow this up. I tell them, uh, save up up to five years, five mm. years of your expenses. Have a corpus for five x, x being your annual expenses. So for then you can quit your job and try something out, and uh, at least you know if it's gonna work or if it's gonna fail. If it's gonna work on the or or, or at least there's a semblance of it gonna work, then you can follow it. But you at least have a cushion that you have that. 5x corpus. This is different from your emergency, etc., etc. This is a completely different. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you are, you're going to live off that money for the five years while you're going to try your passion out. That is fine. That's a reasonable risk. But uh, a guy with no uh, cushion trying that at 30 or 35 is going to be dangerous. It's, it's a huge uh, difference and that's very risky. So, I would say separate the risk from your career and the risk in your investment. There are two different lanes. And of course, you should yeah. take risks in your career. Very, very well said, Patu. Thank you for that. And, and I'll just end by saying, when I start off on a journey, a road trip, I'm very happy to be in the slow lane for a while, right? Watching the world zoom by, you're getting accustomed to the road. At least you're on the journey towards something and you're not on the sidewalk walking along and watching the cars speed by. You're actually on that journey. You've started your journey. And then, you know, you never know. You take a slight turn and you're on the fast lane. You can come back to the slow lane, etc., etc. But start the journey. Um, continue to listen to Let's Get Rich with Patu. And this show is nothing without your questions and your contributions and your feedback. Please keep it coming in. Do you want our episodes to be more skewed towards basics of investing and starting out in your journey? 
Or would you like Pattu and me to now start diving into the dirty details about current changes and, and you know, tax regulations and stock investing and, and the cool stuff that perhaps the YouTube audience of Pattu would like to hear more of? Please write into us on Pattu's YouTube channel, Facebook, our Instagram page at Offspin Media Friends. Thank you so much for being with us this week. And Pattu, any last words before we sign off? And we'll see you next week. Uh, just take the time to introspect. Uh, look at your needs and uh, develop conviction and I'll see you again next week bye bye take care bye you just heard let's get rich with pattu an offspin original isn't it the coolest show you've heard in the indian podcasting space and even if it isn't what's the point of getting rich alone right share this show with those you care about and perhaps even with those you don't care about but make sure you share this show with only those who you don't mind being richer than you. The music on this show was created by Pattu's biggest fan, Rajesh Ravi, and everyone on the Offspin team had some part or the other to play on the show. Let me name them quickly. Harshli Nisrani, Krishant Das, Sandeep Banerjee, Arif Chagla, Anand Krishnan, Rajesh Ravi, and Heer Khan. Heer, by the way, is also to be blamed for giving Pattu his gangster look, which is how he looks on a daily basis. Um, and me, Siddhant, your host. Let's Get Rich is available on all audio platforms wherever you consume your podcasts. So spread the word and we'll see you next week. You know we do this show only to help you guys, right? But if you're listening and you're that one person who has perhaps lost money and are holding it against Pattu or me for making you lose that money, then not only are you a mean person, but you also need to listen to this legal disclaimer. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute any financial advice. Views expressed are not official positions of financial institutions or Pattu or mine for that matter. Although we strongly believe in them, listen to this disclaimer even more carefully. We recommend consulting a qualified professional before making decisions. We disclaim liability for inaccuracies or losses from using this information in our show. By listening, you agree that the host, guests and producers are not only awesome people, but they are not responsible for your financial decisions or outcomes. This is Offspin. Offspin.